I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, welcome to The Discomfort Practice. I'm Betsy Reed, and today we are talking to Nick Bridwell, who runs the podcast Uncomfortable Conversations. So obviously, we are friends because we like discomfort. Nick is based in Plano, Texas, on the outskirts of Dallas. He is a writer and journalist, and he lives there with his wife, Jessica, and their dog, Rogue. And as you can see behind him, a very carefully cultivated collection of books, records, and superb television series. He reacted to the tragic murder of George Floyd by realizing that there were some conversations that American society needed to have and wasn't having. So he and his partner, performer, Sosik, created this podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations, to have real conversations about social issues plaguing modern America. He's also recently taken the plunge and quit his full-time job working at a communications agency in order to focus on creating content for businesses and others focusing on social and environmental issues. So Nick is one of my discomfort running buddies as a term I have started to use. We've had some really great conversations over the past few months about discomfort, about uncomfortable conversations. So I am really looking forward to this conversation. So hi, Nick, how are you doing today? Hi, Betsy. Thanks so much for having me on. I know it's going to be fun um, getting uncomfortable and just kind of breaking down some barriers and talk about things that interest us both. Yeah. So I guess let's take the plunge. What discomfort led you to launch Uncomfortable Conversations, which is a podcast about, well, uncomfortable conversations? I think it's like there's this festering sort of irritation and anger that I had for a while about the political situation going on in America (laughs) and about racial injustice, environmental injustice. And um, with when George Floyd that was murdered, uh, Cameron, that kind of opened up a lot of eyes and pushed a lot of people into action. And I'm just, I'm one of those people who got pushed into action because of that. And the first thing I could think of was like, what can we do to talk about, you know, to talk about race to really with between people who wouldn't normally talk about it. And so I got together with my friend, so sick, who is an awesome performing artist here in Dallas. Uh, you can just check out his Spotify playlist. He's got, has some really great music. I'll put that in the and, show notes for sure. Yeah. And um, we we got to talking. We're like, let's do just a talk. Two people sitting down, a white guy, a black guy talking about race in America. And we called that first talk Uncomfortable Conversations. And uh, from there, we really thought that it it went some places and, t- and touched some lives. It was we had little girls writing con- congressmen because of the episode. To, and we had uh, people talking to their children that that were biracial couples who had never talked to their kids about race before. And so that was very humbling for us. And at that point we decided, well, there's, you know, there's more uncomfortable conversations out there and there are ways to continue this one. And so at that point we decided let's just launch the show and do more of them. And we just finished our ninth episode of the first season. We're heading into the final one for our first season. So it's pretty exciting. Right. Well, what comes next then? What is season two going to hold? You know, I hope that there 
will definitely be more uncomfortable conversations going on. We have our guest list of and our wish list of people to talk to. For instance, uh, it's very important to me. I'd like to get somebody on who's an LGBTQ plus uh, member of the church. So mm-hmm. if anybody knows anybody out there who's a, pr- a priest or a reverend or somebody who is LGBTQ, then that would be really cool to speak to them at about the intersection of kind of Christianity and social justice uh, for that community. Um, yeah. Yeah. And another, uh, per, you know, we'd like to get some politicians on. Another thing we'd like to do is get people who are related on to talk about politics, which is like so uncomfortable that I haven't even been able to achieve it because I'd love to have like my parents on. You need two educated uh, people who can talk about uh, politics who won't blow ups. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually that's something that obviously I'm American, but haven't lived there for so long. And I'm very, very different from the rest of my family and many of my views, but particularly my political views right now. So how, how do you think that would go in the States? It feels like we don't really have a place in our culture right now, which is part of why you have uncomfortable conversations for people to have those differences of opinion in a way that actually is quite respectful and just debate. It seems to just get personal so fast. Do you think that's gotten better or worse in the past few years? It's gotten so worse in the past four years under Mm -hmm. the Trump administration because he's, he tends to, stoke the fear and support the violence you know a lot of leaders and leadership roles would take a step back and say hey this is a time for us to unite not divide and that's a better message for people but that hasn't happened and there has been a trickle down effect you know statistics are showing that there are more hate crimes underneath the trump administration than there were under obama administration you just see that happening and um so yeah, it's, it becomes personal conversations because the issues become personal. You you can barely talk to anybody because somebody's affected by something on either side in their lives. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the big difference. It used to be maybe a couple people sitting around a table and maybe one of them supported the war in Iraq and the other one didn't. And then you had your wine. And now it's, it's uh, well, we're all on Zoom calls talking to each other about it because we can't be in person. And part of that yeah. is political also, because there's a political conversation about how did this happen? How did it become so rampant in the United States when other countries seem to have uh, locked down COVID a little easier with better guidance? Uh, there's a yeah. lot of discomfort to unpack there. COVID has certainly shown a light on the differences in how people want to deal with things and who should be in charge and who should tell them what to do, hasn't it? Well, I, I actually, this is less of an uncomfortable conversation, but more of a just a query, because I left the state 17 years ago. So I have sort of lost touch with a lot of the the trends and the zeitgeist. But do you feel like in the face of all the dark stuff that we're seeing, you know, additional hate crimes, kind of people's baser instincts coming out in the face of fear, what's the good stuff? What have you seen that that this has brought out? You know, is there a coming together? Is there more scope to have uncomfortable conversations? I think there is because there's no end of, we haven't had a problem like uh, coming up with things to talk about with different people, just in our little group and of a small team, you know, um, there is, there's, there are good things happening out there and those are getting kind of overshadowed by a lot of darkness, but there are people fighting for each other. You know, one Mm -hmm. of the people that we interviewed, her name is Gloria Granados and she is a, um, 
she represents people in immigration disputes at the uh, Light of Hope Immigration Center here in North Texas. And mm -hmm. it's very interesting because this is a woman who came to America because it represented um, opportunity for her. And once you get there, a lot of people would take that opportunity and then just become an American and not necessarily share that. But her goal was to make people's lives a better place or uh, make people's lives better here and in America legally mm. in a better place. And so there are people out there doing such wonderful things. And all you hear on the TV or this is what the immigrants are doing, or uh, you have the president calling immigrants, not good people or rapists and murderers. And, but mm. then you see in your community, my psychologist, my, my doctor, and all these people that you meet are immigrants who come here and make our lives better. Uh, so if you're looking for inspiration, a lot of times it's just right around the corner and it's all about recognizing that that might not be a political thing at all. It's just a matter of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of actually using your platform to highlight the truth, the actual facts. Okay. So I guess coming back to discomfort, what do you think from uncomfortable conversations, but also from your own life, what is the role of discomfort in prompting us to have big conversations and shift as a society? Because we really are on a precipice globally. It's not just the U.S. You know, with climate change and issues like COVID and, and economies breaking down. So what role can discomfort play in helping us to evolve as a society? Uh, I think I'm going to have to plagiarize something. And it's a quote from you. You said you told me that discomfort is the edge of change. And that is so true because um, it's just a, a process that people have to go through in order to progress or societies have to go through in order to mm. pro progress. Um, and culturally, I think it's, a, I think it's a universal, we, we come at these things from different angles a lot of the times. So our discomfort might look different than another culture's discomfort, such as the Shigendo uh, Yumibashi, mm. I think they're called practitioners in Japan who are dedicated to discomfort. And this is a, a religion. What they do is they'll go out, they'll walk barefoot for, for hundreds of miles. They'll fling themselves against trees. They'll stand in these cold waterfalls. And they do this to get to a place right on the other side of that discomfort to, to become as close as you can to transformation. Mm. Um, and then you and I have talked about before the metaphor of a, of a sword being forged or something. It's a, um, mm. You know, if your mission and your life and what you're doing is wholehearted, then uh, you're getting that pressure, right? You're getting forged. The, the discomfort of being forged into this this weapon for yourself, and you're going to feel, feel that discomfort a little bit, but but try to move through that into being, you know, your ultimate self and mm. or ultimate society. Or if you're in business, you know, if you have these discomfort things, you approach them you lean into them and they usually help you uh, if that makes, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm flattered to be quoted back to myself. I love it when that happens. Actually, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, that's never happened. So thanks, Nick. I now feel kind of semi-famous. Um, <laughs> we talked before because obviously I've lived in a few countries now and um, American by birth, but just a little bit different culturally. I'm a bit of a smorgasbord. Do you think discomfort and the conversations that are uncomfortable are cultural? I, I mean, part of it can be cultural. You know, discomfort is 
is something that might be applied to cultural things. Like that's how we we're using it for kind of like an altruistic purpose. We're taking conversations that people aren't having it on, um, and on the uncomfortable conversations, video series and podcasts and putting them out there so that they can be applied and used for comfort. But discomfort could be a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be in, re- in relationships, you know, that if you've ever been in a relationship where you had to have that talk, about something very important and there's that feeling in your stomach where it's like pure anxiety but you know as soon as you have that talk whether it's breaking up or just bringing up a important point um you know that's going to clear up and there's a reason Mm -hmm. the anxiety goes away it's because you have to have that talk it's in order to progress to the next stage whether that be ending a relationship or continuing it in a new way or like my thing last week was leaving a job same feeling if you think about the same, that same feeling of anxiety that you get when you leave a job or when you leave a person, it kind of hits you in that same area. And that's a discomfort saying, uh, we need to have this talk and move forward because mm. that's who you are and where you need to be. So how did that, that uncomfortable, we were going to get around to this eventually, leaving your job. How was, what was the discomfort that brought you to that or the, the prompt that brought you to that? How did that conversation go? And then what was on the other side of it? So... For me, it was looking around at the things that are important to me in my life and seeing how I can apply my talent and creativity in ways that are beneficial about waking up every morning and saying I'm making the world a better place, mm-hmm. um, which seems a little idealistic, but I think it's important right now. And especially, you know, having a lot of time to reflect under COVID and uh, the discomfort and the uncomfortable conversation I had to have with my bosses was, you know, I'm not comfortable maybe returning to an environment that it isn't, doesn't cater to COVID friendly uh, regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we won't even talk so- about Texas. Texas needs to get its SHIT together on COVID. <laughs> not to be political, and, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, it does. And there's, Basically, it's, you know, 50-50 split down the middle, maskers and anti-maskers. And um, so that's uncomfortable. But then a big part of it to me was uh, this is a time for me to move into using my creativity for a good cause, which I will be working, uh, writing blogs for ethical and sustainable businesses. So if you are an ethical and sustainable business, (laughs) please go to the show notes and get my email. (laughs) Nick Bridwell, very talented writer. Get him to write for you. In fact, I would love, yeah, I'm thinking I want to hire Nick someday because I love how he writes. So yeah, a little shout out. Yeah. So what, how did you feel after that conversation? I guess this is sort of me asking, you came up to your edge of discomfort and then what happened? What was on the edge of the discomfort for you? You know, it's kind of relief, but then there's also a new frontier. You know, anytime you leave a world behind or uh, anytime you or actually anytime you're able to create something, you know, something else is gone. Uh, And that's another thing that's we've talked about, I think before is um, the art of creation and how creation is inherently, you are also destroying a little part of yourself anytime you create something that goes out into the world. So creating a new future for yourself can kind of feel like, you know, a little bit, uh, you can feel nervous about it or anxious about it, but overall I feel relieved to be on the right path, having Mm. addressed, addressed that discomfort. And did you discover that it really wasn't all that different or, or scary on the other side of it or 
I, I, I'm just remembering what you told me when you did quit your job. Yeah. It wasn't all that different, right? Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a kind of living in it right now because uh, this was just this week. So you got me fresh and it's mm. uh, like one day you're doing one thing and the next, I think ideally I was like, I think I'll take a week or two of vacation, clear my head. But fortunately, I've already got some clients rolling in and some business coming in. So you just kind of reorient yourself and you start putting that the work that I've been doing anyway, which is marketing, creative writing. And I just say, okay, cool. I get to apply it to this now uh, where I feel like it can make the best difference. Yeah, I feel like that's the message for anybody listening. If you are thinking that you can't step out and do the thing that you want to do. I had a similar experience of leaving a job in which I was really miserable, feeling like I was throwing myself off a cliff into freelancing and realizing it was just a gentle step down. And then there were clients waiting for me. So that illusion of big, scary fear sometimes is really just a story that you tell yourself to, to stay in comfort when actually that comfort is keeping you from really doing something that you want to do. So Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's major. I have no doubt it's going to go well. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in going back to you as a team with Uncomfortable Conversations, because obviously in today's America, you have both black and white, male and female. What are maybe some of the uncomfortable moments or the things that you've had to, to think through as a team about things like, you know, white privilege or just realizing we have a particular perspective as white people. I mean, we're at the top of the food chain. Let's just be honest. Yeah, it's uh, very humbling and eye-opening. And honestly, I just feel honored to put the team together that I have because it's basically, it's myself, one other white guy, and two black guys. And we have these conversations before we put any work out. Does this make sense? Does the verbiage fit the, the way that your community would respect that? It was very important to me and creating something that um, we had all kind of parties or perspectives representative represented. And we've also had to call each other out, mainly me being called out. And that's great because I love learning about things like, um, for instance, I wanted to write an episode, uh, write a blog for the show. And, and I just the blog topic I put in there was like, can you please, can we write something about black on black crime? And they were like, hold on a second. We need to unpack what mm. that means from different perspectives that opened a conversation. Cause one of the guys was like, I kind of see how black and black crime is a real thing. And the other one was like crime on crime. My other friend was like crime on crime is just a thing. And they apply a label black on black crime in order to divide and to mislead. So that's actually, I think the last episode of the season that we'll be doing is mm. unpacking that conversation that happened because of the uncomfortable dialogue that we had together. So, uh, you know, you just have to kind of decide what kind of discomfort are you having? And there's different kinds of, you know, there's the discomfort of uh, leaving a job because you think it's a good idea for yourself. And then there's the discomfort of maybe standing beneath the piano when they're moving it from next door and you know, if you're having one discomfort, go for it. Like if, you're uncomfortable, if you're uncomfortable because there's a wrecking ball headed towards you, well, then move out of the way. But yeah. um, that's a personal thing you have to figure out is, are you nervous for the right reasons? Oh, that's a good one to unpack. Are you nervous for the right reasons? What are the right reasons to be nervous then? <laughs> it's it's almost like a like a butterfly effect. You know, when we're younger, when there's a 
when there's a pretty girl or a guy at school that you want to talk to and there's that that nervous butterfly feeling but then once you talk to them you're like okay that wasn't that bad that was awesome i got to talk to this beautiful person i wouldn't have otherwise and that's the good kind of nervous you know mm. um there's a flight or flight fight or flight response that will happen in the other other side of nerves i think like if like when you're walking at night and you hear footsteps behind you or something, mm. well, that's a different kind of discomfort. And so the discomfort that we're talking about following is, is a transformative discomfort. It's, it can totally lead to metamorphosis. And uh, so we're, we're talking about leaning that way. Great continuation of the butterfly metaphor there. I appreciate yeah. that. It's <laughs> like, it's like you write or something for a living. So I guess, yeah. What, what discomfort do we need to have as a society right now? Or, and do we need to have more discomfort than we have in the past? Cause we've, there's a high percentage of us who have had a pretty cushy existence in places like the U S the UK, I live in Spain and life is really pretty easy. So where do we need to be uncomfortable? Do we need to be proactively seeking out discomfort in order to transform the world in order to actually live the way we know we need to live. Cause you know, we, we're both, you can guess our political orientation and we are proactively seeking to make the world a better place. So what would be your message to other people about discomfort and leaning into it and having conversations that aren't comfortable? Search yourself for something in your life that you have always thought that should be addressed maybe, but that you haven't and find a way to be active in that. Like if you're in the community and you're noticing that certain people are being ostracized. Well, get a hold of them. Like, you know, um, there are, there are mosques in, in your city. Like, so let's say that you're a Christian and you've never interacted with people who are Muslim. What if you just got a hold of a local imam or somebody in that, in the mosque and just talked to them and just learned who they are as a human being. Like there are all these opportunities for us to, open ourselves up, be more open-minded. And so discomfort is definitely something we should be pursuing individually. And as a society, we need platforms to have conversations about, about race and we, and women's rights and, and climate change. We haven't even touched on that today, but that's one of the biggest issues facing us in, in the world, if not the biggest issue, because everything else kind of is contingent upon us having a planet to live on. And yeah, so, yeah, the, I guess the, my advice is just, you know, just to go for it and head towards that, uh, head not towards danger, but head head towards the something that might feel a little dangerous to you. Yeah, sail toward that edge of discomfort and then keep going. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. Well, since you've steered us into climate change, you know, I might care a little bit about that. This is an interesting time to maybe talk about the the intersections of things like racism and climate change and how uncomfortable conversations started because of, you know, major racial injustice, systemic oppression, and then the murder of George Floyd. And you started to get into other areas. I know that's an interest of yours. So where is it headed? What are the intersections that you want to tackle? And what are some of the uncomfortable conversations you want to have next? Uh, we need to talk about how... Uh, people of color, indigenous people are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis. And uh, that involves uh, taking a look at where you, who you are. So for us to white people, 
Like what privileges have we had? You know, the best explanation I've heard about white privilege is you might not have had the greatest life, but you have to think if someone was black and had the exact same life as you did, would it have been easier or more difficult? And the Mm. answer is always going to be, it would have been more difficult. Mm. And that's white privilege is understanding that no matter who you are, what hardships that you've had, there are people out there that automatically by no actions of their own end up suffering. Um, And that is something that, uh, you know, you know, has to be addressed, I think on on an individual level, but also as in society, Mm. when you look at climate crisis and how it affects, affects people of color and how the neighborhoods are drawn, how pollution is aimed directly. Or COVID, how it's disproportionately affected people of color in places like the U.S. Or if you talk about the global South, they are disproportionately affected by everything. Climate change, uh, COVID, supply chain injustice, where people are kept in poverty so we can buy a T-shirt for $5. You know, so I am with you. I, I find white privilege such an interesting concept because I guess I'm unpacking this with you. So allow me. Um, It was about, oh gosh, it was 20 years ago, almost a little under 20 years when I I was doing some work in in Colorado with what was then called the Colorado Progressive Coalition. And I went in as a volunteer and I was the only only non-person of color volunteering and the only other white person in the organization was a director. And I was good at it because I've been doing it for a while because I have had, you know, I'm white. I have some privilege. And they put me in charge of volunteers. And I went to the director because we were going out in ethnic minority neighborhoods in, in inner city Denver to get out the vote. And I was, I said, I'm so deeply uncomfortable with this because I am fully aware that I am the white volunteer organizing these black and Hispanic volunteers. And well, help, help. And the director said to me, you know what? Don't waste your time on white guilt just use your privilege to do something for other people, to open doors. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life and and set me on a path of what I do and what I seek out. Like I've set up an advisory panel for myself for this podcast to make sure that 70% of my guests are female, LGBTQ, people of color, or an intersection of all of those things because the world doesn't need another platform with a bunch of, sorry, white middle-class men talking about their expertise so so i, I will be the last you're uh, one of the rare guy. yeah yeah you're one of the rare white guys to squeak through onto the podcast <laughs> so thanks nick <laughs> welcome but yeah just that that i really feel comfortable owning my white privilege because i realize it's a superpower and i am confident that i am doing my best i might mess it up sometimes to use it to do something for other people who don't have my privilege who are more talented than me who are more passionate, more have more to contribute, but they simply don't have the opportunity because they are not white. So I do feel um, a sense of obligation, no guilt, guilt is a junk emotion, but just uh, it's a real privilege to be able to use my privilege to maybe lift other people up, bring them on stage with me, bring them on this podcast, but also I hope that they find their way into the listeners and that they find something from this and that if, I do mess something up, they tell me, because that's the only way I can improve. So, and I know you come from the same place. So yeah, have you had have you had any sort of listener feedback that's been hard to swallow or, or 
or any conversations that you're like, ooh, we didn't get something right on uncomfortable conversations? You know, I think so far we've been pretty lucky on that front. And one of the one of the things I guess that I learned early on as a writer is to stay out of the comment section on things. So uh, I yeah. maybe haven't engaged as much there as I should because I've been so busy that I haven't gotten into the weeds on YouTube or on Facebook. <laughs> or, they can be scary places. <laughs> it it, it yeah. can be. I mean, you can you can get you can get you know go down the rabbit hole. Um, like uh, the other day when I. Uh, mentioned that Superman should come back in the comics and and punch Donald Trump. That that started off quite the chain of why would Superman want to punch a government official? He's Superman. And the philosophical debate of whether Superman is on the side of truth, Mm. justice, and the American way, that's an uncomfortable conversation for another time. (laughs) That's a great, I want to hear that podcast. What would Superman do right now? It's kind of like, what would Jesus do? What would Superman do? It's a really good question. Truth, justice, and the American way. That's the whole of the podcast. I think we should have <laughs> superheroes and how they would react in today's paradigm. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Cool. So what do you think, what would you want people to get uncomfortable about? Like, what's your message to people besides find something you can get uncomfortable about? Give us something really inspiring if you can. Okay. So just get uncomfortable this is something I've tried in my family and I haven't been very successful at because we're so entrenched in our values, but uh, maybe try to start in your social circle or people that you work with. Even there used to be this rule. Don't talk about politics at work. Mm. Like it could be the end of the world. So go ahead and talk about whatever the hell you want to right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. uh, you, You know, I think that's something to pursue. But if you want to also, you have to also notice when that's just a drain of your time. Like if you can't impact or change the minds of some people, then try to find a way to lift up the voices of the people that like already believe the same way that you do find your allies that way. Uh, I really appreciate what you've taught me about allies is to look around for people that you might not expect to be your allies and Mm -hmm. then, and then get with them. So, I mean, really the inspirational thing that I have to say is just find something you love and do something about it. Um, Mm. What is your, you know, what is your passion, whether it's like for me right now, I'm focusing on social issues and environmental issues because those are the two things that are most impacting the way that we act as humans in society. We're all stuck in quarantine right now because of, uh, because of politics. Mm. Uh, We had to open up the economy. And so that, meant that people went back to work COVID-19 spread like crazy again here in the, in the Americas. And here we are back yeah. into quarantine. There's nothing like a global pandemic to really reinforce the fact that we all actually belong to society and it doesn't yeah. matter what color you are or what your socioeconomic situation is. No one, no one can escape this. And yeah, it's inst- okay. Well, that's an easy message. Find something that you're passionate about and do something about it. Do whatever you can about it. Don't get stuck. Stuckness is privilege. Deciding to quit, deciding to take a break really is a privilege, isn't it? Because it, it is. Can. That's true. Yeah. yeah. We've and talked maybe in the use past. that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, we've talked in the past about, you know, me, my bugbear about don't punch your allies. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've talked about this quite at length, actually, about how, particularly on the left, we have this tendency to attack people who are really trying to do something good for sometimes messing up and rather than focusing on calling out 
or trying to get an in with people who aren't doing anything. You know, I'm thinking companies who are don't are not doing anything to have a social or environmentally positive impact. Instead, we focus on those companies who are actually trying hard. And then uh, the recent example of Oatly, that one drove me crazy. So Oatly is a company making milk from oats and they have done a great job with their marketing and making their customers into sort of co-campaigners. But then they, they accepted a really big investment from a company that has ties to Trump donor. Um, so people are boycotting them. And I'm just thinking, but what about all these other companies making soy milk or whatever who don't have the same credentials, haven't taken the same stand about being quite activist about what they do, and they're just quietly getting on with things, and people are boycotting this great company and, and not questioning the others. So it just kind of drives me a bit mad. We're just tearing ourselves apart on one side while yeah. you know, people who just don't really give a crap are just sailing on untouched. But you know, what are your thoughts about allies and how do we treat each other and and what's what's useful calling out and what's just tearing our own side apart it's what you're talking about now is on a on a micro level like on on a on a macro level is such a total description of the political left here in the united states because you know there's the established democratic party and there's the progressive party and we have a tendency to rip each other to shreds and there's no time for that right now when we're facing such existential, existential crises as um, climate crisis and COVID and systemic racism. Really, maybe when we're talking about discomfort, we have to realize that compromise is one of those pillars of discomfort that might have to happen. Sometimes you don't compromise your values for anything in the world, mm. but sometimes you have to in order to accomplish anything. And, um, realizing when those moments are involves talking to the people that matter in your lives, getting the right advice, and then following that gut feeling to the end of the line. I guess um, final question, because we are running out of time. Man, this time flies when you're having a nice conversation, right? Doesn't it? It does. But those conversations with friends and family, you know, disagree with you. Obviously, I have to have them on occasion, or I just avoid them completely. But how, what are some hot tips? Because <laughs> you once said to me, you know, don't waste your time talking to a fence post, go build a barn. So <laughs> I love that. I stole that. I've quoted that often, but what, how do you engage in a dialogue? Can you engage in a dialogue with friends and family who are really deeply important to you, but you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. How do you have those Thanksgiving conversations with uncle so-and-so who you just think is an absolute loon with offensive views, but how can you respectfully engage? Because the last thing we need to do is keep avoiding those conversations. I think it's all about going past that, uh, the reptile brain and getting into understanding your own emotional intelligence. And this is something that everybody fails at from time to time. I definitely have, I get so fired up mm -hmm. and um, I have to take a step back and, and be like, I'm not, my emotions are not me, you know, from a cognitive behavioral therapy standpoint. And, <laughs> and, uh, just say, you know, I'm pissed off right now, but that's not necessarily who I am. See if you can get, when you're having these conversations, something's going to come up in the first line of dialogue or the second line that's really going to fire you up. Try to get back and forth, maybe five to 10 talking points and just, just keep pushing yourself to see how far you can go into a conversation before you have to leave it. And 
that might help out. That's something I've been trying to do is say they're, you know, they're obviously wrong and they're wrong about a lot of things, but <laughs> how can I, how can I talk about it anyway? I like this because there is this perception by a lot of people that, oh, well, you're a progressive. You're not allowed to get angry about anything. You're supposed to be cool with everything, right? And I'm like, no, that's pretty much not how it works for me. <laughs> I definitely believe that some things are just flat out wrong and let's have that conversation. But yeah, I guess there's that point where you realize people get entrenched and they start to react emotionally and you're not going to make any headway because we're acting in our animal emotions and this is not a rational conversation anymore which explains a lot of political movements where people are just acting in their animal brain, their lizard brain, which is how we're all programmed. But we then rationalize and go, no, no, I can't react like that. I can't just go punch people. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a good one. Dip a toe, go as far as you can, and then just take a breath yeah. and go back to your beer and talking about football. People are going to be talk, you know, believe what they believe and, there have been brain studies that show that how people react to politics is the same way they act to religion. So if you're not mm -hmm. going to walk into a room and change someone's mind about the God they worship, you're probably not going to change their mind about voting for Donald Trump. But yeah. um, that's when we talked about earlier, don't spend your time arguing with the fence post, go build a barn because there, there are communities out there that you can be a part of that believe the same and you want to lift them up. So mm -hmm. for uncomfortable conversations, our podcast, we took an early stance, and said, rather than having it be a counterpoint between people are different, instead of giving more voice to, to the dissenting, let's find people who haven't had the opportunity to have these conversations out loud, put the camera on them and just let them share what they need to share, mm. ask them the questions that matter. And that's been very impactful. Yeah. And I guess part of that, and I know this is where you're coming from, is you're having uncomfortable conversations where you can actually have a a fruitful conversation because people aren't so far apart that they can't do anything but just throw things at each other from afar. And and then there is that element of don't just hang out with your allies because the last thing we need is deeper, deeper, deeper polarization where you realize someday you no longer know anyone who doesn't think exactly like you think because then we all end up in these echo chambers where we reinforce each other's views and and nobody ever changes because we all need our own views sharpened and challenged as well. So I think you guys have done a really excellent job of, of balancing that, of helping people have uncomfortable conversations and and helping this, our society to have uncomfortable conversations. So I just want to say thank you again for what you're doing and for using your own discomfort to create something and to help to spread the discomfort in a really productive way. So everybody check out Nick and Seek's podcast. It's amazing. It's really interesting and it's going to continue to be more interesting and even more and more relevant. I'm really looking forward to seeing the topics you tackle next. And obviously, you know, if you ever want to talk to me again on your podcast, I would be most happy. Maybe we can talk about um, <laughs> racism and climate change next time. I would love to tackle that one. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah. Don't forget that uh, Betsy's on our seventh episode of the first season. So if you pop over to YouTube, just look for uncomfortable conversations or we'll put the link in here and you can hear us talk a little bit more about discomfort over there on our, mm -hmm. on, uh, our podcast. Just shooting the breeze. Well, Nick, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and keep having uncomfortable conversations. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts and head over to the Discomfort Practice Patreon page 
For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can become a contributor and help us to produce this podcast and reach new people with the idea that discomfort is just the edge of change, the edge of our superpowers, and the edge of changing the world for the better. Thanks to my wonderful team who helped me produce this podcast, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, Katrina Affleck for the original artwork, and to my co-producer Spencer Rausch. Let's all stay uncomfortable. Thank you.